You're listening to the podcast of Dr. Chip Bennett. Please consider subscribing wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Matthew, um, although one of the literary conventions is that Jesus is the new Moses, and we need to talk about that. Like We need to see the story within the story, um, and, and I've talked some about that in other places, but we will come back and do some of these things more in depth. And some of you are going to say, more in depth, we'll do it more in depth. But right now, what I'm trying to do is just get us to maybe start to go, wow, maybe there is a whole nother room in this house that I never even knew existed, and I've just opened the door, and it's like, whoa. So Matthew, what he does is he actually centers his book around mountains. And the way these mountains work in Matthew are is that they parallel each other. You may say, what do, what do you mean? Okay, well, so the first mountain that Matthew um, gives us in his gospel um, is in chapter four. It's the temptation of Jesus. Remember, Jesus, took, Jesus was taken up on a mountain. And when he was taken up on the mountain, what we're told is that he was specifically um, asked something um, and told something by the tempter, by the devil. He said, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of of the world. Just fall down and worship me. Now, it should not surprise you that this first mountain finds a parallel in the last mountain. And the last mountain is in chapter 28. I want to read you um, that because this is important. Go to Matthew 28. Go here to the last part. He says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain, here's the seventh mountain, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. Jesus was taken up on a mountain. What did the devil say? If you fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms and power and authority in the, in the world. Okay, what's the last mountain? Goes up on the last mountain, and what does he say? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Not coincidence. These mountains parallel each other. There is the start and there is the end. And the way to read a book is to understand that what's going on here is also going on here. I need to do a whole other teaching on this and, and, and flesh it out more for you, but just to give you an idea. You'd say, okay, well then what are the second and the sixth mountains, right? Okay, the, well, the second mountain is the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapter five through seven. Jesus goes up on a mountain, and what does he do? He teaches them the Sermon on the Mount. How does the Sermon on the Mount start off? Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Why is that important? Well, it is because the sixth mountain is in Matthew 23, and that mountain is the, um, the Temple Mount. What does Jesus say in Matthew 23? Temple Mount. Woe to you, 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 woe. Blessing and cursing. Whoa, hold on. These, okay, yes, because Jesus is the new Moses in Matthew. And because of that, this is going back to Gerizim and Ebal. Remember when Moses divided the children of Israel and he gave blessing and cursing? These mountains now signify that. These, this is not coincidence. It's not just like the blessed, 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 the woe, woe, woe. Not coincidence. It's not just 
It's not just there. It's not just shoehorning something in. Matthew knew what he was doing. These mountains here are mountains of solitude. It's where Jesus goes up. One's a mountain of solitude, one's transfiguration, where Jesus is left sort of alone. Um, we, we can get more into that, but, but the bottom line is, is these parallel each other. But the center mountain, which is in chapter 15, which is the direct literary center of the book, what are we told? And this is, this is huge. Chapter 15, let me read it to you because it's just really important. It says in verse 29, Jesus went on from there and beside the, walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on a mountain. This is your fourth mountain in Matthew. Um, and he sat down. And what happened? Great crowds came to him. Okay, now remember, when Moses went up on the mountain, who could come to him? Nobody. Okay, Jesus is up on the mountain. Who's coming? People. He's greater than Moses. Who comes? The lame, the blind, the crippled, and the mute. Now, that, these are not throwaway words either. Because if you remember back in, in Exodus, the, and it's, it's that strange passage like where the Lord says to Moses, who makes one deaf? Who makes one lame? Is it not I, the Lord? And we're like, oh man, God, are you, you know, because God is providential. Like even in the sufferings of people, he's doing something to bring eventual healing. And so who comes? Well, the lame and the blind come to Jesus. And what happens? And he heals them. And, and, and what is the central motif? And they glorified the God of Israel. Who's the God of Israel? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the God of Israel. And so these are not just throwaway things. They're, they're how to read a book. And, and not only do we have the conventions of the start and the end and the center, we also have what, what I would call um, in the literary conventions of the day is that people understood the theater. Like, um, we're, we're digging up all the time, archaeologically, in the, in the Middle East and Israel and all that area. The amount um, of uh, um, theaters are, are incredible. I mean, when you go, if you ever go with me to Israel or you go with somebody else to Israel, you're going to see in many of the towns that you go and visit, there's theaters. Why is that important? Well, because the theater was something that would be well known to everybody in the first century. They all knew the theater. And what did, they, what did they get in the theater? Well, they got tragedy and they got comedy. You've probably seen the masks, right? You know, um, picture of the masks where there's, you know, the smiley or the, the frowning guy and the happy guy. Um, those, those, the picture of the masks encompasses all of life. Like, this is life right here. Life has its downs and life has its ups. I mean, we all, like, these, these are not things that we don't realize. It's just that we're, we don't think about it. Like, we don't think in terms of this because it's not our world. Like, you know, unless you're, unless you're a thesbian and then you know that, oh, well, that, yeah, this makes total sense. But typically for most of us, we're not thinking in terms of this. Well, the, the, the biblical writers employ the theater world. It's just, it's suffering and it's glory. Tragedy, suffering, comedy is glory. And you go, well, oh, whoa, really? Because, see, we think of comedy as like ha-ha funny, a sitcom. That is not the theater convention of comedy. That's, it, there, there were laughs, but that's not the convention. The convention of tragedy and comedy in the theater was this. Tragedy started high and it ended low. That's just what tragedy was. You, you, knew, you knew what you were reading. You knew what you were listening to. You knew what you were watching like that. 
When it started off with somebody in a high position, somebody who had it all together, somebody that knew what was going on, you knew exactly what was gonna happen. There was gonna be a fall, it was gonna be great, and it was gonna end up very low, typically the death of the person that was, that was high. That's just the way tragedy worked. There would be no question if you were reading something or watching, you knew the categories. Comedy was the exact opposite of this. Comedy started low. It started with, there's no way that this person or this group can accomplish what it is that they've set out to do. Impossible. Can't happen. And then what would happen is, is it would end up high. It would end up that they accomplished that nobody thought they could accomplish. You know, um, even in our comedies today, typically you'll have somebody who's a goof and, and somebody who's, um, you know, can't do something that ends up doing something great and the end of the movie ends up on this, you know, this high note. Um, and of course, we think of comedies as the laughing, but at the convention is the, the low to high. Now we have um, Aristophanes. He was the great Greek comedian. He, he wrote the comedies of ancient Greece and we have many of his comedies. What's interesting in almost every case, from low to high, at the ending of Aristophanes, the the ending of his comedies would end in a wedding. Now, why, why, why is that important? Because tragedy ended in death. Comedies ended in weddings, which is the promise of unions of man, men and women coming to produce new life. So, so, so th these, these things were, th they knew what they were doing. They knew their conventions. They knew how to, how to write. You should be able, when you watch a movie, to be able to go, is this gonna be a tragedy pretty quickly or a comedy pretty quickly by just knowing these things. And so what's interesting is, is when you think about Lowe, okay, um, and Aristophanes, what's interesting, he has, a, um, he has one of his comedies, is called Clouds. And in the clouds, you have somebody who travels on a cloud from earth to heaven, trying to appease the gods to stop the problems going on in the world. This is way before Revelation. It's, it's the movement from heaven to earth with the clouds and all of these things, and, and it ends in a wedding. Well, when you think of Revelation, Revelation is proper comedy. It starts low. The churches are about to have the lampstands taken from them because they're not living right. They need to repent. They need to get their first love together. And how does it end? It ends with the church victorious with a wedding. That, that's Anybody who would have read Revelation in the first century would have known this is comedy. Now, we, we make it tragedy. We make it this book of fear. It's a book of hope because it's, it's comedic. And so not understanding this really messes us up. Now, I will even go on further to say that as comedy continued to um, evolve, the great work of comedy, and we know it's called the divine comedy. We know it. It's Dante. And Dante wrote three volumes of his comedy. Okay, just so that you get the idea here and, and we understand, um, Star Wars, like George Lucas is not dumb. Why did he have three exact starts to, to Star Wars? Because he understood comedy. The rebels could never take on the empire, but at the end, they do. And how does it end? It doesn't end in a wedding, but it ends... The, 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 the last Star Wars of the first three ends with this incredible scene with all the Ewoks dancing and everybody excited and all of this stuff. Lucas understood comedy. 
Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. No way Frodo could do what he did. No way he could accomplish the stuff. But by the third, he's done this. And how does it end? It ends in a wedding. Tolkien understood. Everybody's getting married. He understood comedy. We don't understand these genres, and because we don't understand these genres, we're watching stuff and, and labeling stuff in ways that we shouldn't. So let me show you how this works in, in Luke, just to give you some perspective here. Go to Luke chapter 24 with me, and, and let's read. So, and starting in verse 13, it says, That very day, two of them were going, and that very day is the day of Jesus' resurrection. This is the third day. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So we're in Jerusalem. They've been there. They've witnessed the death, burial of, of Jesus. It's third day now. They're leaving from Jerusalem, and they're going back to Emmaus. Typically, this is a, a down walk um, from Jerusalem. And so they're, they're headed home. And we're told that it's about a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem. So it's a couple hours, two to three-hour walk, depending upon how fast or your pace or whatever. And they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. This is, this is tragedy being employed. They're on the walk down. It's ugly. They're depressed. Um, they had wished it had been better. That they're, they're on the walk. Okay. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus knew, drew near and went with them. Now, a couple of things here I'd like to point out. One of the conventions of comedy um, was a masquerade. And, and in comedy, um, you wouldn't know that the person was masquerading in, in these ancient comedies. It was, it, was, it was part of the literary conventions of that work. So Jesus appears, and they don't know who he is. Luke knows his tragedy, and he knows his comedy. He's saying something theological to you and me. If we're reading this passage right, he's telling us about the suffering and the glory. He's wanting us to see the rhythm of a Christian life. These people are dejected. They had hoped that Jesus was the one. They're, they're, they're on their walk. Jesus has died. It's an ugly time. And then Jesus comes along and masquerade. And while they were talking, Jesus drew near to him and went with him. I always make a note here that on Jesus' resurrection day, I don't know what you would have done. Would you have been celebrating or whatever? On his resurrection day, doesn't it say something about the tenderness of our Savior that on his day of victory, he joined two lowly, dejected disciples to enter into their life. Says a ton about who Jesus is. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. There's the masquerade. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Obviously, he knows he's Jesus. But he asked them, what are you talking about? And they stood still. They stopped. And this is, this is all great literary um, work. They stopped. Like, they, he, they just got asked this question. Tell me what you're talking about. They stopped. And they stood still, looking sad. Remember, we're still in the tragic part here. We haven't made the turn. We haven't, we haven't gone from suffering to glory yet. Um, we're going to. And, and this, is the, this is the trajectory of all of the gospel. Like, you know, um, in, in, in Romans, you know, uh, Romans starts off at the beginning with obedience of faith, um, chapter 1, verse 5, and at the end of chapter 16, obedience of faith. It starts, but in the very middle of Romans is that great, chapter that says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed, that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that the obedience of faith to the nations comes through the preaching of the gospel, and the preaching of the gospel is that God is at work redeeming all of his people back together, but he does it through suffering and 
glory. Same thing's going on here with Luke. Luke traveled with Paul. He understands the gospel. These people are looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. Now, this is funny. This is, this is you should laugh when you read this. This is, this is great tragedy moving to comedy and, and all this. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said, what things? This is hilarious. I mean, you should laugh because these people are talking with the guy that it actually happened to, and they're going, do you not know? And he's like, do tell. Tell me about it. Tell me what happened. It's, it's, it's hilarious. You should laugh when you read this because it's a great literary. It's, it's, the, it's the contrast of the tragic and the comedic and, and, and how all of this plays. Wonderful stuff. He says, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Listen, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Bottom of the barrel. Bottom of the barrel, dejected, going home. What does Jesus do? He does the great comedic turn, this huge turn where he starts to talk to them about himself in the Old Testament. But he ends at their house, breaking bread with them. And when they break bread, their eyes are opened and they truly understand who Jesus is. And you see this great turn. And you also see the literary conventions that Luke is using because he, he takes the verbs of our fall. Remember Genesis 3, um, she took, gave, and they ate. These are the verbs of our fall. We know that story. Okay, so Luke takes those verbs because he knows the literary, he knows the Old Testament, he knows what's going on. He takes those verbs and Jesus takes the bread, he gives it to them and they eat it. And what happens when they took, she took, gave and ate, what happens? Their eyes were open and they understood that they were in sin, they were exposed. What happens when Jesus takes the same verbs? He takes, he gives and they eat. What happens? Luke says their eyes were opened and they recognized who he was. He, the verbs of our fall have now become the verbs of our salvation. That's a literary device. Like, so this is, this is a lot of, this is tragedy and comedy embedded in, in, the, in the story. This is literary device embedded in the story. This is the, the um, sort of holding the uh, um, watermark up to the light in the story because Jesus goes back and tells them all the things out of the Old Testament concerning him. This is the way to read scripture. And, and what's interesting is, is they said when he was talking, wasn't our heart burning when he was talking? Um, I think that, that that's what good biblical reading and teaching about Jesus does. It's when we burn on the inside because of what, of what we know, of what we know to be true. So I hope that some of these things that that, that I have shown here um, help start to get us thinking about how do we read a book? What are the literary conventions that are being used in these books? How are they, how are they writing? What are they trying to say? How are they trying to help me to understand certain things? And 
If you liked this, I'm going to ask you, will you please like it? Um, if you thought this was great, will you tell us in the comments that, hey, more stuff like this? Um, if you didn't like it and you go, no, we, this is not what we want, say we want something different, we went into this. But if this is something that you liked and something that you thought was beneficial, will you like it, will you comment, and will you share it? Because we want to get this type of um, uh, literary convention and how to read scripture out to a larger group of people because I think if people can start reading scripture through this lens, um, it will mean so much more to them.